soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. Verse 31 of chapter 29. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, The Lord surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and then she stopped bearing. Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? So she said, Here's my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, made his wife. And Jacob went into her and Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged my case and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great rustlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she'd stopped bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as wife. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes. So she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And then Leah said, I am happy for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Now Reuben went in the days of the wheat fields in the harvest and found mandrakes in the fields and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, it is a small matter that you've taken my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he will lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Then Jacob came out of the field in the evening. Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I've given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Iskar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I've borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. And this is a story of the 11 sons coming into the household of Jacob. And again, bear in mind, Benjamin would be born in the promised land after this through Rachel. She would die in childbirth. 
She would call him son of my sorrow in her childbirth, but Jacob changed his name to son of my right hand, Benjamin. As we go forward in Genesis, and particularly get to the life of Joseph in Egypt and the sons, Benjamin and all the sons, you'll see how as grown men and adults, this plays out with these guys. So he's got 11 sons from four different women. You say, like, what's that all about? I don't, I don't know. It's just how it worked. That's how it played out. Obviously, we know that we're to have one woman or one man. That's God's design. That's God's order. But we also know it's good for a country to have godly kings, too. We don't always have godly kings, do we? Right? It's good for us to make right decisions in our personal life. We don't always make the right decisions in our personal lives. So we can understand that the human adventure, the human experience is messy. And a passage like this, I just want to go to Romans where it says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So once we get past, like, how did God work through all this? Well, he did. And Israel's a nation. And a lot of those people that live in Israel right now are distant descendants of one of these 12 sons, ethnically, not all of them, but some are. And there's more people around this planet that are descendants of these sons, ethnically, 4,000 years later, going strong. There's people groups that have existed that no longer exist in human history. These 11 sons had lots of children, and their descendants live all over this planet today, and particularly quite a few in Israel. And the book of Revelation tells us that God has a very special plan with the ethnic sons, descendants of these sons for the last days with 144,000 witnesses. God's always working on something bigger. And all things do work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. But as we look at this story, it is so very human. When I read this story, the thought comes to my mind what they used to say in Chile when there was drama. Uh, es telenovela which, of course, is soap opera in Spanish. And it was a slang that the kids would use, like when there was some kind of drama with parents or, or the contest or officials, where they're like, oh, it's telenovela. It's telenovela. It's just human drama. It's a soap opera. Our lives are a soap opera. Our extended families are a soap opera. There's a reason, like, Days of Our Lives have been on TV for 60 years. It just goes on and on and on from generation to generation. Churches are a soap opera. Where you work is a soap opera. College classrooms are a soap opera. In other words, a soap opera just being the drama of the human experience where God is trying to draw men and women to himself through grace and like a chessboard, keep check and move check to checkmate in people's lives who are too foolish to seek him, but he reaches out to them. And he's working. There's so much we're going to see in the life of Jacob. And we'll get more to it in a couple of weeks after Christmas. Because there's so much that God's doing in Jacob's life right here. But right here, it's like he's just surrendered to the fact like, oh, I've got four wives. I've got all this drama. And I just want everyone to be happy. And that's never going to happen. As he gets back to the promised land, there's just more drama. But yet, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And there's no accidents in this story. Who has children when, how those children are born, the legacy of those children's lives, the legacy of their descendants. There's greatness over all this because God's grace is great. So as we think about this, I would just call this message tonight in the midst of the drama. Because this is drama. And in the midst of this drama, that's family drama, there's some very interesting things that we can take and learn 
And I might say it's even a bit timely around Christmas time when we're going to be spending time with different family members and extended families where there just might be a little bit of drama and there's things that we can learn. First of all, we want to look at Rachel. In chapter 29, verse 20, we did not read it, but I summarized it. Chapter 29, well, verse 18 says that Jacob loved Rachel. And it says in chapter, verse 20 of chapter 29, when he served the seven years for Rachel, they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. He was in love. And love just makes the sky bluer, the grass greener, and the sun brighter. He loved her. Rachel was loved. Her husband loved her passionately. And yet, she was not fulfilled in her husband's love. There's an irony to her life. And if you contrast with Leah, it's the exact opposite. Everything Leah wanted, Rachel had. Leah just wanted to be loved by her husband, and yet that's the very thing that Rachel had. Rachel was profoundly loved by her husband on the mental, emotional, and physical level. He loved her. Seven years was like nothing to marry her. I'm quite certain the next seven years was more of a grind. Because the next seven years, he had to think about how what he sowed, he reaped. As he deceived his dad, he was deceived by his father-in-law. So that's a different story. But Rachel was loved by her husband, which is a central theme of this text. But in spite of that love that was there to give her assurance and security in the relationship. We read these things about her life. In verse 1 of chapter 3, we read that she envied her sister. That's a strong word. Envy will tear you up. It's always unwise to compare our lives to other people's lives. It can become very dangerous when siblings do it within a family. It's a dangerous place to go when you start comparing yourself to other people. If for no other reason, there's always someone prettier, more handsome, smarter, faster, quicker, and better. So inevitably, you can find yourself discouraged quite quickly. We know that God gives different things for different people. When he said in the end of the Gospel of John that what I have... For, to Peter, he said, what I have for John is none of your business, but when you grow old, when you get older, you'll go where you don't want to go, and you'll have an ending you don't want to have. And Peter said, well, what about him? And Jesus said, don't you worry about him. What I have for him, I have for him. It's like that. Why do two people get cancer at 40 and one gets healed and one doesn't? Who can, who can answer such things? Who's sufficient to know such things and even pretend to know the mind of God. The book of Job is dedicated as much as anything to humanity to not try and sit there and think they know everything. Job's three friends speculating and speculating chapter after chapter nonsense about why these things happen to Job is just proof text evidence in the word of God that we don't know what's going on. Then God reproves them. He reproves Job. And then he says, this is what I have for you. And then the New Testament tells us that God had a good ending intended for Job, which just shows none of them knew what was going on. Gotta be careful that we don't compare ourselves to other people. In 
the letter to the first Corinthians, Paul talked about how people compared him to Apollos and Peter. And he said it was carnal and it was divisive. But we do compare. There'll be comparisons. People compare pastors. You listen on K-Wave, you go like, I, I really like this guy, but I don't like that guy. This guy speaks to me, that guy doesn't speak to me. And we draw comparisons. And what happens is we find ourselves being envious of others when we feel like they have more than us. And one more thing I'll add to this is the parable of the minas. I said this, this, this last year I've thought a lot about this. If we feel like we're getting less, we're all for socialism because we want to get equal to someone getting more than us. But if someone wants to give us more, we're for capitalism because we're all for getting more if we get more than the other person. I've observed this in the human experience. If I ever write a book of Proverbs, I'll put it there because I've seen that. Everyone wants to trust to be equal. And if the trust is not equal, people flip out, except for the person who's got the greater amount in the trust. You can get five adult siblings together like, hey, mom and dad gave you an extra 20%. Like, that's, what's wrong with that? I did this and I did that. I took care of mom. I took care of dad. Well, it needs to be equal. But if that same person was getting less and someone else was getting more, then they'd want to be equal. Jesus, in the parable of the minas, gave one person one, one person two, and another person five. It's not what they got that mattered. It's what they did with it that mattered. Envy is a dangerous thing. It'll destroy people because envy and jealousy are next-door neighbors without a fence. They go right there together. You can really tell where your heart's at when you rejoice for other people's favor and blessings and prosperity when you can rejoice in that and not find yourself envious or jealous of that. Promotion comes from the Lord. Even Jacob, when his wife frustrated him, he's like, what? It's not about me. God has with, you know, can you imagine the evening after this conversation? Who am I? I'm not God. He's withheld your womb. Well, let's just let it out what we're all thinking here. We already know that this is the Lord, but it, that's what John the Baptist said. A man or a woman can receive nothing that's from the Lord. This text tells us that God closed wombs and he opened wombs for both of them. And Jacob's like, well, I don't know what to tell you. It's between you and the Lord. So she envied her sister. She was frustrated. She frustrated her husband. She had conflict with her sister because she said, oh, I've wrestled with my, my sister. Dan means wrestling. She so wrestled with her sister, she named a kid after it. I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty serious. It's like, hey, this is our, one of our sons. What's his name? Dan. What's it mean? Wrestling. Does he, does he play for, does he wrestle for Calvary Chapel High School? Is he church boys? No. Because his, his, mom, his mom and the auntie, had, they, had a rest, they, they wrestled for this stuff. Like, wow, that's, that's kind of odd. Moving on to the next conversation. Naming a kid. But this is how intense it was. So she can't even have a kid. She gets her maid to have this be the surrogate mother, which didn't work too well for grandmother Sarah, by the way, with Hagar. And she says, ah, wrestling. I've wrestled with my sister and I'm prevailing. And then, of all of it that gets my attention, is when she finally has a son, and all she can do is say, I'm going to have another son. Did you catch that? I suppose there's two ways you could look at this. And I have to be fair to Rachel. Because she said, give me a son lest I die, and she died while having a son. 
the irony of that. But she called his name Joseph, which means fruitful. But she wasn't really speaking about him being fruitful, which later on Jacob will prophesy over him, and he was fruitful. Joseph is a fruitful bow there in the latter part of Genesis. She calls him fruitful because she's, can't, she's already proclaiming the next son she's going to have. So either she's speaking a word of faith, if you will, like I'm believing in God for my next son, which technically is true, or even when she has a son, she can't even enjoy that because she's so consumed with the envy and the bitterness and the wrestling with her sister that she's got to already be moving on to the next son. I got to have more sons because I got to catch up to, to my older sister who has six sons. I believe personally that's probably the case. But either way, it would seem she was never content. And I'm going to suggest to us tonight that she never really enjoyed her journey. I mentioned at the beginning of this year, I set down five bullet point macro goals for my life, and I've really enjoyed them this year. And number four was to be in the moment. I tend to be distracted. I tend to have vision and think about where things are going, looking around the corner. And the Lord's like, hey, let's just try in 2019 and be like right in the moment. Let's be in today. I'll look at a date planner and I'll see the day and I'm looking at the week and the month and I'm like, I'm looking over here. I mean, we're planning a first quarter right now for worship, who's doing the sound, who's doing the words. I, I like to look ahead and stuff like that. I was like, let's just do today. And then the fifth thing was is to serve people in the moment. So like when my wife's talking to me, I'm paying attention. When Zippy and Velzy show up, I stop everything, and that's all that matters. I was going to be doing this at 3.30 in the afternoon, but Lee and the grandkids randomly showed up. And you know what? What's better than this? What's better than that? Right now, what I want to do, I don't have to do. I have the flexibility. Like, Let's get into their world, and let's make connection with our grandkids. Because I have this moment. Oh, we'll see them for Christmas in 10 days. Maybe not. You might not be here in 10 days. This might be the last moment you get to see your grandkids. So talk with Zippy. Say something about the Lord to her. Pray a silent prayer over her. Pray a blessing upon her. Be in the moment and think of others and appreciate what the Lord is doing in that moment. Don't be so caught up for the next thing because the next thing ultimately is to be with the Lord with no return to make up for things you didn't learn in the journey and fulfill or to, to be in a hurry and then all of a sudden there you are and you're in assisted living or memory care where they lock you down on the third floor after dinner. And why were you in a hurry? Why was it always something in front of you? Why was it always something more than what you had? We need to enjoy the journey and we need to enjoy the moment. God gave her a child. All that. And the, the, let's, let's enjoy Joseph. Let's, let's, let's worry about the next kid when the next kid comes. Yeah, let's just, let's enjoy this moment. Let's, let's enjoy Joseph. Let's enjoy this. And I think for me personally, what I see in the application here is truly to, to enjoy the moment of what God is doing in your life. Not to be complaining to other people about, give me this or I die. Not to be renting out your handmaiden for intimacy to your husband so you can just say, I've wrestled with my sister and prevailed, and you call that kid wrestling. I mean, these aren't stories that just happen like in days and weeks. These are years. 
And we got to let it go. We can't make it about the envy and the comparison to someone else. In Rachel's case, Leah. Your husband loves you. It's between you and the Lord with children. And he gave you a son. So rejoice in the one son and what he's doing. Rejoice in your mina and be faithful with it. Don't worry about someone who's got two or five. Be faithful with yours and rejoice in the Lord with that. And that's what we learn from Rachel. Now, Leah is interesting as we read on with Leah. In chapter 29, verse 35, she says, Now I will praise the Lord. Well, out of abundance of a heart, does a woman speak? She says, Now I will praise the Lord. Back in verse 30 of chapter 29, it says that he loved Rachel more than Leah. She truly was loveless. She could feel it. She could know it. And it just was there. So she was like this partner in intimacy that was for producing children. The whole relationship was awkward and choppy at best. And she really wanted to be loved by her husband, which is a natural thing. God's designed women to be that way and men to love them like Christ loves the church. And so you can see her progression. Reuben is, well, it's Reuben, she called his name Reuben. The first one says, the Lord has looked on my affliction. She says, you know, the Lord sees what's going on in my life. That's not, that's not, I like that. It's good for you when you feel like things are unfair and not going right. Hey, the Lord sees this. The Lord sees this and be sure he does. Then she had Simeon and she says, the Lord has heard. God sees and God hears and he does. So everything she's saying is true. And then she says that with Levi to be attached. Well, that's what she really wanted. Surely third time's the charm. Surely now he's going to love me and really embrace me with the intimacy that God's designed from the foundation of the world for man or woman. I'm not just going to be an object to him, but the apple of his eye. No. But it is so cool when she has Judah and says, you know what? (laughs) Enough of Jacob. I'm going to praise the Lord. She's like, he is who he is. He is what he is. He is the way he is. He's a son of Adam. I love him. I want him to love me. No amount of children is ever going to have him love me the way I should be loved. The Lord will always love me the way I should be loved. I will praise the Lord. And from Judah comes the king, David. And from King David comes the king of the Jews, Jesus, and the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. I will praise the Lord. So what we're seeing in her life is she's loveless, she's afflicted, she's very fertile and produces lots of children, but it doesn't produce the result that she wants. The irony of it all, like she wants to be loved like Rachel's love, and Rachel wants to have children like Leah's having children. But the difference is Rachel never found contentment or joy in the Lord in the confession of her words, only conflict and tension and strife. Whereas Leah's all, hey, you know, it took me a while, but I figured this out. I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going to praise the Lord. Because my fulfillment does not come in Jacob. My fulfillment comes in the Lord. God first, men second. We say our stewardships are the Lord, our marriage, and our children, and then the extended ministries he gives us. But the Lord has to be first. 
because only he can bring us true abundant life, true joy unspeakable, and he's one that loves us unconditionally, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. God can't promise that people will not leave or forsake one another. God cannot promise that people will be faithful to one another, but he can promise you and promise me he will always be faithful to us. And that he will never leave us nor forsake us. And that all of his promises are yes, yes, and amen. Men and women, they make promises that are yes and no. Your bosses, your neighbors, your family, some spouses, some parents. But Jesus Christ is yes, yes, and amen. And she says, I will praise the Lord. Because my fulfillment is in the Lord. Or like Jesus said to the woman at the well, who happened to have multiple husbands, you drink from this water, you'll thirst again. You drink from the well I give you, you're good to go. I'll give you living water. Temporal, time, space, and matter. Eternal, the relationship with Christ. There it is. She's like the woman at the well. I'm going to praise the Lord. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.